So we are looking at the second part of the Moses series this morning. Are you excited? Are you? Some of you are, some of you aren't. We'll let your face know if you are excited. And we shall get on with the second bit, all right? So great to see you. Now then, so last week, just casting our minds back, Sarah brought the first part of the talk, and we looked and considered how Moses' life was affected, how he started out, and we heard about Pharaoh's cruel decree, and he was trying to annihilate that generation of the Israel nation which had grown up in Egypt, and they were being oppressed, and uh, Pharaoh wanted to, you know, push his authority, and he wanted to kill off that generation, if you can remember, we looked at that. And the brave midwives of Israel um, were saying how vigorous the, the women were at giving birth, and the babies would arrive, and Pharaoh had told the midwives, you know, to, to kill off the babies, which is terrible. And then we read how the faith-filled parents of Moses put him in a basket in the Nile, and he was, you know, three months old at this time, and he survives that, and Pharaoh's daughter uh, finds him in the um, bushes there, and how things work out, the, the, the baby is, is rescued, he's been looked after, and he's brought up in the, uh, he's brought up by his actual mother as a nursemaid because um, he was cared for, looked after, and that was, you know, really God's kind of covering over Moses' life. So it's a very interesting start uh, to his life. And of course, he was raised then in the palace as an Egyptian. And somewhere along the line, Moses finds out and knows his true heritage and family background. So we, it's important to hold on to that information because this really does dictate how God works amazing things in Moses' life. So let's look at what happens next. Exodus chapter 2, and we'll have a look at the story here now. So it's got to be the best verse in the Bible for summarizing childhood and early adulthood. I loved reading this. It says this in Exodus 2.11, one day after Moses had grown up. So there it was. One day he'd grown up, okay? It was just as easy as that, isn't it? And the first thing that is recorded, that he goes to see his people, and he witnesses an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, and he kills him, and he hides him in the sand, and he hopes and believes he's got away with it without anyone seeing. Then, just a short while later, he questions two Hebrews, his own people, fighting with each other, and he wants to deter them, you know, your brothers, and, you know, don't be doing this to one another. And in Exodus 2.14, we read this. Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you going to kill me like you killed the Egyptian? Uh-oh. So Moses, his secret killing of the Egyptian wasn't a secret after all. There were witnesses. And there's nothing more hard-hitting than when you find out that a secret misdemeanor is actually out there and not a secret anymore. So Moses is in this predicament now, and we know in our generation how when people get into trouble, the media like to focus on that and start looking at that person's life and how that one thing that's happened becomes the focus of attention, and it, you know, stimulates gossip and, and that, that person's life, and it adds interest and intrigue, and a lot of judgment a lot of the time. So the particular consequences here were totally life-changing for Moses. A life-changing thing has happened. Pharaoh finds out and issues the death penalty upon Moses, and it's time for a big change 
in Moses' life. He flees Egypt. But before we find out where he goes, what can we learn from the story so far about what has just happened? Well, first of all, Moses was a work in progress, being brought up in the Egyptian culture, he ate the food, he drank the drink, he was educated, etc., etc., etc. So Moses was a work in progress, and that is something that is so important to know, because a lot of us would see Moses as this mighty man of God, who he is, but also to regard the truth that he was also a work in progress for many, many years of his life, going right on into his old age. And that is something that's very encouraging for us all, isn't it? That God is at work in our lives. We are a work in progress. So, he arrived at a stage in his life where his identity in God and the Egyptian culture and oppression, uh, oppression towards his own people had come to a pressure point. And by this action that had taken place, you can see that there must have been a lot of turmoil in Moses' life, a lot of tension, a lot of pressure, a lot of stress because he had compassion and love for his own people. He'd been brought up in an Egyptian culture and now he'd witnessed this event and then there was this you know, outpouring of a, of a violent action. So I imagine that was a very difficult time. So he's been raised in the wisdom and the structure and, and the plenty of Egyptian royalty. So there was a friction within his heart and in his spirit. And he didn't like what was going on. And he didn't like the mistreatment of the Hebrew slave. And sometimes for us, there can be a tension going on in our lives. There can be a stress, a concerning point in our lives. And we toy and grapple and wrestle with it. And it is so important to remember God is at work in our hearts, changing, helping, blessing, having grace upon us. And those are the times, you know, we can come to God in prayer to know his heart and life for our lives. So Moses is in this friction point, and he didn't like what had gone on. And it pushes him to carry out this most violent of acts, to take a life. And of course, when we read the early parts of the Bible, in Genesis, we read about the first murderous act when Cain murders his brother Abel. And you kind of think, well, where's that come from all of a sudden? And we're shocked by what we read. And of course, there's jealousy and all the rest of it. And Cain murders his brother Abel. And it's a sad thing. So where does this come from in Moses' life? Where was he up to in his life up to this age? The backdrop of his own survival as a baby was the fact that his generation were wiped out by Pharaoh's evil edict. So He's known about this, he's, so he's been brought up in this environment, yet he knows the, the dark truth of, of the Pharaoh. So there's this very stressful situation that's taken place. And of course, like, like the Bible teaches sometimes, that hate can rise up within our hearts, and it comes out sometimes in various ways, shapes, and forms. Now, I'm often intrigued by age. I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I think, you know, how old should I be to be a fully emotionally mature man, uh, or woman, of course, but I always think man. And um, I remember Googling, what age should you be to be a fully emotional mature man? And this w thing came up, which said, uh, men could be emotionally mature, or should be emotionally mature, but they're they're 43. <laughs> so have that in mind. This was an informal study, right? It was a bit of fun. But, um, but if you'd like to gauge yourself today, uh, how old you are, and where we feel we're at as, as a developing person, that 
43 years of age. And of course, that is a bit of fun because age isn't a guaranteed sign of maturity in our lives. We can have young, wise, mature people and older, foolish people. So, you know, it's not always, you know, a general rule. So, you know, how do we learn to handle emotional responses to situations that arrive in our lives. And, and this is a journey that I believe we're all on, and I know I'm far from being 100% fully emotionally mature. But anyway, now, I was reading a little aside while doing the study of this talk, and I found this on a marriage enhancement website. So I thought, I wonder if I can pick up any good tips here while I'm doing this study. Because I was just thinking a little bit about, well, what was going through Moses' mind? you know, at this age, and, you know, how was he dealing with, with all this that was going on in his life? And, of course, we read, you know, a real significant thing happened there. So, what are some signs of an emotionally mature man? This is written by a highly qualified woman, I assume. That's me being cynical now, that's part of a, you know, a not a mature emotional attitude. But, no, this, this lady seems to know what she's talking about, so I went with it and we had a little look. So, that's good. So there's this relational tool, and I think there are some crossovers into general life as well, okay? So here are some top tips for an emotionally mature man, okay? But ladies, we, we can also join in as well. Are we up for this for a moment? Just indulge me for a second. He's not afraid to show his feelings. He's not afraid to show his feelings, but he explains his feelings. He doesn't get angry or moody or locks himself into a cupboard or a cave, although we do that from time to time, but he explains himself why. Why has this situation made me upset? Why am I angry about asserting something? He is not afraid to explain and show his feelings. He's honest. He has no reason to lie or to deceive another person, but he's honest with the truth, with the facts, and he is open in his communication. He chooses peace, not wanting to prove a point and, or win a battle, but he chooses his battles wisely, but it's not to win an argument, but to find peace in a situation and in that relationship. And being a parent, I can understand, you know, it's very important to choose our battles in life and what we're really necess necessary to, to address and to converse about. And some things you just got to kind of, oh, we'll step back for this for a moment and see where it goes. His patience is admirable. Life isn't perfect. Plans fail. No matter how hard we try, sometimes things just go wrong. And we look to create patience within us because we can't physically change it ourselves. He is flexible to changing circumstances. Things change. How can we adapt to that? He's resilient in trials and challenges and tries to resist being overwhelmed. I don't know about you, but you know when troubles come in life, Sometimes it can be quite hard to be resilient to that and not allow discouragement or, you know, you feel overwhelmed by something to overtake. It overtakes everything. It overtakes, you know, our hope. It overtakes our feeling of peace in our lives. A difficult situation can really challenge us. And when we turn to God, we can know God's like resilience in the situation and in the circumstance to know that he is with us in it. And, and Moses was on this journey we can be optimistic and realistic and view life in that way, in the good and in the bad. He's grateful. Instead of complaining, finds gratitude. He practices self-acceptance. Not perfect, 
but grow in. That is a good place to be at. We can realize where we're at as a person. Are you with me so far? There's a couple of others. Are you finding it helpful or is it boring? Helpful, yes, thank you. There's a couple of nods there and a couple of shakes of the head. No, there wasn't really. Okay, so he's self-controlled. He's aware of his self and surroundings and not harsh with word and action. And that is a, a really good characteristic to have in life is to be self-controlled. And maybe as some of these things are being talked about this morning, there may be people in our minds who are popping up we've been friendship with, a relationship with over many years, and we can see that person, oh, they've really got those characteristics in their life, and I really appreciate that. Um, and then I'll just add this last one then. He's respectful, respectful to people, to parents, to co-workers, to kids, and most of all, respectful to God, looking to God for his everything. So there are some like little, apparently emotionally, mature characteristics and aspects which we can all develop in our lives and we're all on that journey as well. So God was doing a great work in Moses, ready for his future plan. And I'm not sure about what you feel about him fin finishing off that Egyptian, whether you think that was the right thing to do or the wrong thing, or whether that was just a blow of emotion. But, you know, this, these are the facts. This is what is, is that happened. And we read about and we grapple with and, and consider so this has happened in Moses' life. And at this point in time, Moses is around about the 40-year-old mark. You know, some people have written about, you know, maybe his 20s or his 30s, but there's a lot of scholars believe Moses is around about the 40-year-old mark at this time. And according to Stephen's account in Acts chapter 7, where Stephen is hauled before the Jewish council, and they want to, you know, pin, like, blasphemy upon him, Stephen goes into a long speech before the Jewish uh, council, and he talks about Israel's relationship with God. And there's some interesting insights in those details. And in verse 23, it says, One day when Moses was 40 years old, he, you know, he came to view the people, the Hebrews. So some interesting details in there. But Moses is at a, a crisis point in life. He's at a crisis point in his life. And I don't know if any, anyone here has experienced like a crisis point in life. Or maybe it might happen one day, or we've been through it, or we're there now. It's to hang in there and allow God to shape us in that time and in that moment. And for Moses, this was the crucial time. It was all about to change for him. And he has to flee to Egypt and enter phase two of his life as he knows it. So Moses flees Egypt and the wrath of Pharaoh and goes to live in the vicinity of Midian, which is around about 250, 275, kind of 300 miles range away from where he was at. And the last few verses of Exodus chapter 2 set out the scene and the next 40-ish years of Moses' life. So shall we read those together? Exodus 2, 15 to 21. Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away. But Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. When the girls returned to Ruel, their father, <clears throat> he asked them, Why have you returned so early today? They answered, An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. 
And where is he? Ruel asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with a man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Okay, so this is the next phase of Moses' life. And he's gone and he's escaped to Midian. And these, uh, this event is taking place here. And we read about it. So Moses finds himself as a stranger in a strange land. And we see an act of bravery, an act of courage, and an act of kindness provides a unique opportunity for his life. And he has an invitation to a meal with Reuel, who is also Jethro, okay? In, in the scriptures there, Jethro and this name here are both, it's the same person. And um, we'll go with Jethro, right? Because it's easy to say. So his family, they're there together. He's invited to a meal because he's just saved uh, the daughters from this shepherd gang, and he's been kind. And Jethro, interestingly, is a priest in Midian. So over the course of time, hopefully, Moses marries Zipporah, Jethro's daughter, because that seemed to be a quick escalation of events, didn't it? He's, he's given her some water, saving her from a shepherd. Jethro says, great, come and have a meal. You can marry my daughter. Bosh, off you go. So, yes, I think that summarized quite a fair bit. So he settles there, and he becomes a shepherd in Midian. So there's a huge contrast from Egyptian prince to this new life. And it impacts him deeply. And he names his firstborn son Gershom, which means exile or a foreigner in a foreign land, as it says in uh, chapter 2, 21. So a, a destiny shaped by sitting at this well. Now it's interesting that the first thing that's recorded is that he sits by a well and this scene is described but it shapes his destiny for his future for the next chapter of his life. And we know that eventually it's going to shape a nation and change the, the trajectory of the Israel nation. So it's a simple and natural thing that takes place. He draws water for himself and for the daughters and for their flocks. So in a typical event, in a conversation, it paves the way for an amazing future. And it reminds me of another significant moment which takes place over a thousand years later. And this time it's Jesus sitting at the well with a Samaritan woman, Jacob's well in Samaria, near the land given to Joseph many, many years before. And he reveals to her that he's the Messiah. And her destiny is shaped and her community is shaped when this conversation takes place and there's a realization that this Jesus has just spoken into her life and brought her encouragement and truth, shapes her life and her destiny as well. So never overlook the simple things in life, the simple conversations, the simple act of courage, the simple sitting by a well with someone, the simple word of encouragement, of peace, because it can shape somebody's life for their entire life and those around them. <clears throat> now Jethro welcomes Moses into the family and he sees that Moses is made of the right stuff that he defended and helped his girls. His parents knew he was special that we read in the scriptures that Moses was a special child. And in Acts 7.20, in the NIV version, it describes Moses as no ordinary child. But in the New Living Translation, it describes him a beautiful child in God's eyes. 
And it's right that a parent would consider their child special. And for all of us here, we have different parenting experiences. But let's remember the truth that not only Moses, but every individual is beautiful in God's eyes. Unique, individual, loved by a heavenly father. We sing the songs, we hear the encouragements. How does that translate into our life's experience? Have we not just read the words, but have we actually come to the place of recognizing that we are a beautiful child in God's eyes? No one is an ordinary person. Everyone is 100% special, individual, and unique. So let's remember that truth, that not only Moses, but every individual is in front of God, created and shaped by him, and in beautiful in his vision. So the starting point, we should always try and see ourselves as beautiful in God's eyes, so we're aware of ourselves and who we are in him. So sometimes the pressure of the world, sin and disobedience can make us feel far from God, but we can always trust that God is in us and working something out in our lives. And that is like a two-way street sometimes, that we are faithful to him, we listen to him, and we shape our lives in and around his truth and in and around his love as well. How do we know God loves us? Well, he created us, he instructs us, and he, of course, he sent Jesus to rescue us with that rescue plan of dying on the cross and being raised again. The grace of God, we hear it so much, but the free forgiveness of grace, forgiveness which is freely given by God. So let's not get robbed today by the fact that God, you know, sometimes we feel that God doesn't love us. We shall know the truth that God loves us deeply and is with us and for us every step of life. So Jethro, bless him, is a dad to seven daughters, keeping an eye out for tidy husbands coming along, and he's picked, Je he's picked Moses. Now, I know that feeling I have a daughter, and I'm always checking that one day, Maybe there's a tidy gentleman out there who will whisk my lovely daughter away in the future. And it's a, it's, a, it's a dad who prays for their kids. I believe, you know, you're, we're looking out for the best in future, you know, relationships and stuff. So I kind of identify with Jethro here and fair play to him, he gives Zipporah, his daughter, in marriage to Moses. So over the course of time, his own baby boy, Gershom, as we know, a foreigner in a foreign land. Moses has been deeply impacted in his life. And he's going on, you know. It's not like he's still a young man anymore. He's still thrashing around with the fact that he's a Hebrew man. And he has all this life experience. And his people are being persecuted in Egypt. And now he's in Midian. And one thing runs true in Moses, and that's his identity in God. He doesn't give up on his identity in God all the way through, although it would have been difficult to grasp at times. Now, this is faith in action, to be fair. And maybe we feel like that from time to time, that the past is so far gone, and we're now in a new chapter of life. But there's a constant in God, in Jesus, his love, his grace, his compassion for us. And that is there for our whole life journey. In the ups and the downs, 
the history gone in our todays and our tomorrows, that journey with Christ. And Moses continued to have that connection, a relationship with God throughout thick and throughout thin. In Philippians 3, verses 20 to 21, has these great encouraging words, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await the Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. And there's some great truths in here for us to grasp hold of and to relate to, just as Moses belonged to the Israelites and the covenant of God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, his forefathers. We too belong to Jesus through the new covenant provided by God, the covenant of saving grace through belief in Jesus. And we, we, we love that, the goodness of God, the relationship of God, and that our citizenship is not just, you know, the, the floor that we're standing on now or the seats we're sitting on now or the homes we go to later. And we enjoy that and we make the most of our earthly experience and we make the most of our daily relationships and our work and our paying the bills and our buying the food and the relating and all the rest of it. Ultimately, we have one eye on the future as well. Our citizenship in heaven, that is a truth to know now and to look forward to as well. So it's an ongoing faith, a living faith that we have. And us as people, we relate to the, to the nationality of being God's children, God's people. And that is a wonderful truth and a great thing to remember in our lives, citizens of heaven. So, there are some natural traits that come out of that national identity. And that is kind of described in becoming more like Jesus. Those are the traits of our life, that in life we become more and more like Jesus on that journey, displaying in and through us his love, his compassion, and his way of loving people. And of course, we are on that journey, as we know Moses was too. And every day, we take every day as it comes, don't we? And we continue to ask God to help us and shape us and develop our characters and help us to work in challenging at times situations. So let's be open to the future with God at the steering wheel. We can see God use ordinary people to complete extraordinary things. And we can remember who we belong to and where life is heading. So Moses' time in Midian doesn't exactly fly by. In fact, it's a long period. We read then in Exodus 2, 23 to 25, and this is the last point now. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. So we're many years down the road now, Things still not looking good for the people of Israel. They're still stuck in Egypt. They're still being oppressed. But there's a change of leadership in Egypt. And phase three of Moses' life has been brewing for many years and is about to come to the fore. So the next thing that happens is Moses is a shepherd by now and he's taken the flock through the wilderness. He's probably been looking around for you know, fertile land to, to, to grow the flock and for them to eat. And we read that he goes to Horeb and the mountain of God. And it's sure that he hears God calling him Moses. 
Moses. And Moses replies, he says, sure I am. And God says to Moses, you know, take off your sandals, you're standing on holy ground. This is a very famous part of the Bible. I am the God of your father, of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. And they want to bring a rescue to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. I've seen the oppression of Egypt upon my people. And oppression is a prolonged, cruel, and unjust treatment. And then we read and hear about that famous God and Moses conversation. And maybe we can identify ourselves in some of this. Let's have a little look. Go and sort Pharaoh out and free Israel. These are some of my words thrown in here, right? Because I'm not going to read any more full-on scripture, right? Go and sort Pharaoh out and free Israel. Moses, who am I to do that? God, I will be with you. Moses, what shall I tell them? What if they ask your name? I am who I am. Tell them I am sent you. This is my name, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. So God is identifying and establishing in Moses his generation, the call to look after them and to free them and to protect them because they've been under oppression for so long. And there's this conversation going on now between God and Moses, his chosen leader for the situation. And there's a, a verse that reminds in, in John 8, 48 to 49, where Jesus is having a bit of a ding-dong with the religious authorities. And he says this phrase that drives him right up the wall. He says, before Abraham was, I am. And they were not happy. They wanted to kill him off. Because by saying, I am, it was well known that that is the name of God. So Jesus was saying, before Abraham was even born, I am. I exist outside of time. So you've got this, I am, is a very important phrase when we come to considering God. So God then continues to give Moses direction, encouragement, and details. And Moses says, well, what if they don't believe me or listen to me? And God says, right, I will provide signs. I will provide signs for you. Where's that staff of yours? So he picks up his staff. Well, the staff will turn into a snake and back into a staff again, and he carries out that sign. And then the next side says, well, if they don't believe that, he puts his hand under his cloak, pulls it out again, and his hand is leprous. And then he tells Moses to put his hand back in his cloak, and then it comes out clean. And then there's another sign that will happen if they don't believe that, to tip some water from the Nile onto the floor, and it will become blood on the ground. So God is encouraging him that, you know, I will do supernatural things to help you to show that I am with you, I am real, and things are going to happen, which is going to really mix it up. So Moses replies, pardon me, Lord, but I'm not good at speaking. I'm slow of speech and tongue. So there's, you know, another reason why Moses doesn't really want to go, God, I will help you speak and teach you what to say. Moses, pardon me, Lord, please send someone else. <laughs> I love that. That is so like, have we all been there? God wants us to go and do something, say something, make a difference, change, challenge, encourage, edify. And it's like, I really don't want to do that. <laughs> Lord, you really want me to do that? Well, if you do, you know, give me some signs or do something that'll help me. See, we kind of get the impression that Moses doesn't really want to do it. And then God says, well, Aaron can go along with you. 
to do the speaking. And between you both, I will instruct you and teach you what to say to the people. But don't forget to take your staff, the signs. And I think that somehow, anyone who comes to faith in God, for all of us here, we're kind of roped into that burning bush experience in a way, the calling of God. Because when he comes into our lives and changes us and challenges us, we're kind of part of the picture becomes, well, go out and speak the good news of Jesus to people to make a difference, to release others from captivity and to help them in their daily challenges. So we kind of get the job description here for Moses. And of course, you know, this is like changing a nation and, and, and all the, the stress and events that come along with us. But for us, we can have those similar emotions and responses to God. And like Moses, we can learn from him is how he then kind of goes along with things and trusts God in that. So there's similarities. And we all kind of grapple with that from time to time. So perhaps we have our own Pharaoh to address in life. Maybe we're not 100% prepared to go for it and have to show some courage. But faith and trust come hand in hand. God's timing, his, our obedience to him is so important too. And what if God wants us to communicate a truth to somebody and encourage them in our life? Can we develop a Moses in us and see his challenges and how we get through that and actually go for it eventually? So just want to close in one example that I've kind of had to deal with um, a couple of years ago now. And I live fairly close to an, in a, in an industrial estate in Pentlegare, okay? And there are some fantastic businesses down in that place. Now, one, there's many, but one of them is M&P Motorcycles. So if you're a, a biker here, you'll probably know all about this. But it's a huge place, really good, and it's obviously, when you come off the M4, Junction 47, you're on the main road down to Pentagon Industrial Estate. So for me, I'm often seeing, especially on a Saturday, and especially even yesterday, gangs of bikers driving down that main road to go and visit M&P, okay, the motorbike place sometimes 20, 30, 40 at a time, like, you know, all the engines revving and exhaust and all the rest of it. And, um, like, my insides are rattling sometimes. They're so loud. They're going past. Anyway, so they go down the road there. It's just, like, half a mile down the road. And I remember going back to this time, and I was having an MOT in a garage near the bike place. And what is also awesome about this m and is they've got a great cafe in there as well, which do great breakfast as well, Okay. And this was about four years ago. And as I'm in an MOT, I thought, I know, for that hour or so, I'll go and have a breakfast, chill out, have a breakfast, sit down, wait for the car to be done, and go and pick it up again. So having the breakfast, I'm halfway through. I look up, and I see, you know, it's full of bikers and all the rest of it. And uh, there's a couple of guys chatting, talking. And I kind of clock one guy, went back down my food, and I was like, God, saying, I want you to encourage this man today with a word of encouragement. And I was like, no, I'm just making that up in my mind. I just carry on in my uh, full English, you know, <laughs> pretend that God didn't say anything there. Anyway, you know when God's on to you, don't you? It's like it just, just doesn't leave, he doesn't leave you alone. And it's like, you kind of think of all these excuses. And I was like, right, so this guy's on his breakfast with this bloke and there's loads of people around. And you want me to go and encourage him with a prophetic word? Um, well, if his friend gets up in the next two minutes and goes, then maybe I'll consider it. <laughs> so, like, one minute, 59 seconds later, 
the guy who gets up and goes, leaving the one chap there. So I thought, okay, we'll do it. So I finished my breakfast, went for it, and I was going through some, I was just praying, okay, God, so what is it exactly you want me to go over and encourage him with? So I've actually still got the notes on my phone, okay, because I thought, I don't want to forget anything, so I was making some notes. So I went to see him, I said, it's one of them then, it's like, excuse me, it's like Moses now, like, are they really going to believe me? Uh, just, uh, this may sound unusual, but I'm kind of a Christian, I go to a church locally or in Swansea, and, you know, when I pray sometimes, I feel God will give me something to encourage, someone with a, a message of encouragement, and I feel God has given me something to encourage you with this morning, and he's looking at me, he's probably in his late 50s, he's got these big wedged sideburns, you know, the denims, the leathers, and all the rest of it, and he looked at me and went, go on then, <laughs> I thought, okay, that's fairly, that's all right, that's fairly approachable. So anyway, I went along, and the kind of things, because uh, I've got the notes still, with these things, I believe God is saying that you're a dependable person, that you have an inner strength and an uprightness, that you're reliable, and people close to you and further afield rely on you, rely on who you are and what you do. And you're appreciated, but it's not often said to you, and that you're a safe pair of hands. You're like a rugby hooker, the one who throws the ball in, and like a footballing goalkeeper who catches the ball and prevents the ball going in the net. You've got a safe pair of hands. But you also have this sensitivity as well, and you don't show it. You're an overcomer and a perseverer in life, and you've been a strength in a grieving situation. And at this point, you can see his face has changed. He's catching me now, actually. <clears throat> Anyway, so I said, you've been a strength in a grieving situation, and God's love is in you and through you, and he is going to help you in the next, you know, short period of time, and you're going to realize the peace and the grace and the love of God in your life. So he just grinned at the end of it. I was like, oh, thank goodness for that. I got off my chest. Uh, and I said, so how, how do you feel about those words? And he just said, well, basically, you've just described my life and me. So I was like, oh, well, that's good. So it turns out he's a plumber, and that, obviously, he'd been through situations, and those kind of bullet points and signs helped him process some of that, that God is kind of involved along in our lives, you know, and, you know, one day you're having a breakfast in a biker shop, and some weird Christians come up to you and giving you something that might make a difference in your life, you know? So we all, I believe, have those moments where, there's something to be said, and it takes a bit of courage and a bit of obedience to kind of follow God in and through that. And maybe today we can be inspired by Moses' obedience and faith, recognizing his vulnerability, but knowing God is with us in that journey, that we're a work in progress, but we can trust in God in that. So that's it for this part of the series, and next week, Julian's going to bring to us the first Pharaoh encounter. Julian, I'm so glad you're doing that talk. I look forward to it. So great. Let's close our eyes, guys, and we'll pray to close for today. Yes, Lord, we thank you so much that during this phase of Moses' life, that we recognize similarities even in our own journey, the times where, you know, we can get cross and angry at a difficult situation, and it can resonate within our life for many years, so we pray again, Holy Spirit, that in our vulnerability or in those moments, 
that you draw close to us, Lord, that we can trust you in that, that in our decision-making in life and who we are in essence as human beings, fallen and all, we know your grace and goodness for our lives. Continue in our journey, Lord. Continue to grow us and shape us and help us. May we be a small help to someone along that journey of life for the ones, the twos, and the many, Lord. And just use us, Lord, in that way, in that humble way, in that real way of relationship and friendship and kindness, that your heart would beat for, for those, Lord, within our hearts, that we would capture and know your heartbeat uh, for people. So we thank you, Lord. Help us in this journey again. We love you, Lord. We're grateful to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Matt.